Uh, I was working in the yard and this sweaty bald guy walked up to my, uh, uh, interrupting my lawn mowing in a very hot day to talk about Jesus Christ. And uh, well, you can imagine how excited I was to do that at that point in time with sweat rolling down me. Uh, but we spent 30 minutes talking about um, uh, Call Prairie, and it was Pastor Dan and his vision for creating uh, a, a community church. And while I was very clear with him to say that I am uh, attending a Catholic um, church and, and we're not interested at this time, I was very much, uh, I enjoyed the conversation. It was very candid. And then uh, lo and behold, a couple of years go by and we go to a barn service um, at the uh, uh, Kill Creek Barn and things just kind of started to roll to where I wanted more. I wanted to know more about the Bible and I wanted to understand more. And I saw this uh, opportunity as did my wife and, and here we are. That's awesome. And what's, what's kept you here for a decade now? It is the teachings. The, the pastors here for me and my wife, they feed my soul. They feed me I, I, when I come to church, I come to, to learn and to um, I learn fellowship and uh, community. And, and those are important to me. I, I don't ever feel that I have to impress anyone. When we first started coming here, one of the uh, sayings that resonated with both my wife and I, uh, we're casual on the outside, but serious on the inside. And everybody is accepted. And that's something, again, everyone's welcome here. And that means a lot to me. Understand I came from a very rigid um, Catholic upbringing that I would say. And the first six months of coming to church here, when people would talk, when the pastor would talk, get a cup of coffee or get a donut, I would yell, reverence, reverence. Uh, in my mind, I would yell that. Today, I get coffee and, and, and donuts. But back to this class, um, it was Pastor Dan at the end, do you, would you like to become a coveted member of the church? And for me, I had to talk to Pastor Dan and say, now wait a minute, how does the Pope feel about this? And fortunately, Pastor Dan was, Brad, I don't think the Pope is going to care whether you join our church or not. And if you want to join our church, join our church. If you don't want to join our church as a, as a member, come. Just be with us and share with us. And that night we joined. So Brad Martin has been a friend to me. Friend to me and a supporter as, as a pastor, kind of a, well, a role model and mentor to me as a young dad. He's been, a, he's been a businessman with integrity since he retired, and before he retired, he was a police officer that knew how to calm a situation, but he seldom had to use force because he had a lot of wisdom. And I've watched him be the kind of man, both professionally and personally, who knows how to transform anger and brokenness into something positive and redemptive. And so that his story is part of Caw Prairie's story is a huge blessing to me and a huge blessing to our church. And the thing is, 
His story isn't more awesome because he's a part of Caw Prairie. His story is more awesome because he's a part of God's story. Each one of us has, has the opportunity to decide, do we want to be the, do we want to be the big hero in our own little compact story? Or do we want to be a small hero in the larger, impactful, life-changing story of a mighty God? If you decide to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the opportunity to graft your story to His and make a difference, not just in, in your family, in your lifetime, but for generations to come and into eternity. And it's about our story, our story as it grafts onto God, that I want to talk to you today. Our series, Make More Stories. This is the day I ask, what's the story with Caw Prairie, honestly? And so I want to honestly tell you, all of us, all of us have the choice of being part of a church, right? It's hard to be a Christian by yourself. In fact, you're kind of a stagnant Christian if you're by yourself because there's nobody there to help grow you. There's nobody there for you to serve. There's no one there to challenge you and to serve you. It's an empty thing to be a Christian by yourself. Now, sometimes God will fill that up, but most of the time God's going to say, I'm going to keep you empty until you decide you're going to put yourself out and join a church family because that's what my plan was. God's plan was to change the world with the local church. In fact, one of my favorite sayings about the church is that the local church is the hope of the world. That just makes my heart filled. Because what does a church do? A church gives you the opportunity with your family to make new friends and to make new connections for, for the kingdom work outside while you worship and you serve and you fellowship and you learn. You have the chance to grow beyond where you are now. It's the kind of place where you can bless people beyond the, beyond the normal scope of your life. Right? You go, you stretch yourself, and you, you bless people outside your comfort zone. And best of all, it's the place where you have to grow up. You have to grow up because people see you. People see you, and they, they, if, you, if they see you every week, eventually they'll get to see your limitations. And you know what happens in a grace-filled church? They love you anyway. And if you, if you come every week or you sign online every week and you share your story and you start to interact, they start to see your possibilities. And they encourage you to press into them more, all the way. And if you hang around long enough, there's going to be somebody who does something wrong to you. There's going to be somebody who hurts you. And this is the laboratory for living the Christian life and you get to say, you hurt me, but I love you anyway. A church is an amazing place to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's why, that's why the local church is the hope of the world because without that laboratory, we become kind of in our own little bubbles. It's not like you've seen that lately on Facebook, right? <laughs> The church is the, counter, the counterbalance to the toxicity of the world. Anyway, that was my vision when God called me to Kansas City and set me out on the, in the neighborhoods to start door knocking, inviting people to come try this amazing new church that God, I knew, was destined to build here in Kansas City. And it was that energy that I had for that that forced 
Brad to turn off the lawnmower and talk to me for 30 minutes. But, my, but Brad's story is an amazing one, and thank you, Brad, for sharing it. But obviously, I've got a Caw Prairie story too, and I thought it might be useful or at least interesting for you to hear a little part of that. In 2003, I was finishing up uh, probably year eight or nine of, of being a church planter in the Chicago suburbs. We had an amazing church, amazing friends, outstanding leadership, and a great staff. But my kids were three and seven. Our kids were three and seven. Hi, Laura. I know they're ours. Uh, they, they were three and seven, and I just felt like, you know, maybe this is the time I should move and try to do something new. Try plant again. And, and see what God might, might have open for me. And plus then I thought, ah, oh, maybe not. Maybe I should like listen to other things. So I interviewed for like senior pastor jobs and you know, established churches and, and some of them I thought were amazing and some of them I thought were, hmm, gotta look longer under that hood. Um, but then I got two calls that made my heart skip a beat and I could tell what God wanted from me. The first was a call from Kansas City, uh, a mission director as they call them in our church tribe, wanted to know if I would be interested in planting another church here. And then I got a call from another mission director in Arizona wondering if I would want the same thing in a suburb of Phoenix. And well, I was just on cloud nine. I mean, I still had my day job, so I was trying to, I was doing my old church thing and being a good pastor. But I was on cloud nine about this and I could tell God was really filling my heart. So I went to Phoenix first. Man, the, the amount of people, the energy, the crowds, the, the enthusiasm that I had, the, the multilingual, the multicultural, the Mexican food. It's like, whoa. I came back and told Laura all about it, and she was, she was supportive. Not over the top, super on fire, because it was a long way from all her family. But she was, she was with me in it. And then we went to Kansas, or then I went to Kansas City and I met the team here, and boy was I impressed. I mean, the, the, the caliber of leader, the experience, not just in church, but in business and life, just the smarts, the savvy, and the faithfulness. I want to show you a picture. You may know these people, because they're all at Caw Prairie. So Dick and Diane Frohart, and Carrie and Pat Arrington, and Brad and Tammy Gardner. <laughs> I haven't changed a bit, have I? <laughs> yeah. We look the same. You know, and the reason Laura's not in there, by the way, is because when the picture was taken, um, Laura was still back in Chicago, because um, I'm an Uber husband, right? Well-trained, and I decided, when I decided to take the job here and come, she decided that she would stay back there and pack up the house, put it on the market, take care of the kids, and arrange the move, and then join me when all that hard work was done. So, luckily, she stayed married to me. Anyway, that's why she's not there in the picture. But she was a huge part of starting the church too. She was our first children's director and she was happy to hand it off, she tells me, when the first volunteer came along. Anyway, so this, this mission-minded this, uh, this mission group of ours, it was amazing. So Dick volunteered to be the first business manager, Brad volunteered to be the first treasurer, and the Arringtons volunteered to be like, they bought, a, they bought a van so they could haul the church's junk in and out of an elementary school. The, the investment was amazing. And then Dick and Diane offered to have me at their house so I would be safe and could, could base out of there. I mean, an incredible thing. It was just an amazing outpouring of God's mercy and wisdom. But you know, I still, still was thinking about Phoenix and all the people and the Mexican food. I'll be honest. So, so I go back home. I tell Laura just how awesome everybody is. And then, you know, it's her time in the second visit 
to come with. So, so we come to Kansas City first, and she just thinks everything I do and more about the amazing people here. And, and she falls in love with Diane Frohart, and she loves everybody else, but she trusts Diane with me. See, I had been planning and living in Lawrence while we were, well, until Laura got here and we got a house, because I figured, well, there's lots of restaurants, good food, I'm all in. But um, Laura thought it'd be better if Diane kept an eye on me. So, <laughs> so my wife is always right, and that's what we did, and it was the blessing of a lifetime. But the other thing that happened was that while, while um, we were down here for the second meeting, so we had, this, we had a reception, right? And at the reception, um, we, were meeting, we were meeting all sorts of people. Earlier that day, before I went to the reception, you know, I had decided that I was going to use um, the book of Acts as a, devo as a devotional guide to listen for God's word when when I was trying to figure out what to do next with my, with my call as a pastor. And so that morning, I had read this in the hotel. This is from Acts 16, verse 6 and following. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went down through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with them, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Well, you can imagine, I'm on an interview trip, and I read this, and I think, you know, that makes sense. Probably just like Paul, God has put obstacles in my way and or, or kind of deflated my energy about my, my current church, made it clear that it was, it was time to search, a, search for a new call. And, and now maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this is the place I'm supposed to, supposed to go or maybe, maybe the door will close here. I, I don't know. So that was probably all I thought of it because I had tons to do that day, including look for houses with Laura, right? So, anyway, we get to the reception that night. It's in the basement of the Country Club Cafe on Monticello and Shawnee Mission Parkway. And in the basement at this little reception with the members of the call committee, I think they were called, or the selection committee, um, or maybe it was the mission team of, of the Synod, one of the leaders comes over to me and says, Dan, I have a word I'd like to say to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we, we go off to a corner or outside the, the gathering room, and I remember it was kind of loud. And you know when it's loud, you kind of want to lean into somebody so you can hear them. And so I kind of lean in and he said, I have a word and I think it's from the Lord. And that is, you need to come to Kansas City and help us. And I'm like, ooh, that sounds like what, that sounds like the man in the dream said to Paul. I'm like, what did you say? And he said, I said, God wants you to come to Kansas City and help us. And I turned and looked at him. And then I looked up and I'm like, wow. He's like, well, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be presumptuous. I'm like, no, no, I just think, never mind. <laughs> and I thought, wow, God, you're trying to tell me something. Well, then, then we go to Phoenix a couple weekends later and having the second interview there, they all want to meet Laura and doing all that sort of stuff. And she was out looking at houses while I was, you know, meeting people in the community and, and some of the other, the other church leaders. And we're in the hotel getting ready to come 
to the reception in Phoenix, and she says, Dan, I just have to say, I loved Kansas City so much. Those people are so awesome, and I just don't want to be that far. I don't want to be this far from my family. I want to be somewhere with seasons. And, and I know it's going to be your decision, and I, but I know, I know you'll, I just want you to hear where my heart is. And I gave her a hug, and then her phone rang. And it was the realtor she'd spent the day with who said, oh, by the way, Mrs. McKnight, I probably should tell you, if you're planning on coming here quick, you might want to get a reservation for an anti-scorpion bite training class for your dog. <laughs> Laura hung up, and she's like, no. <laughs> and then my phone rang. It was Dick Frohart calling from Kansas City, and Dick says to me, Pastor Dan, I'm very pleased and proud to tell you that we voted unanimously to offer you the position of the mission developer for the Northwest Johnson County Church plant of the Central State Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And I'm like, wow! I'm, you guys know I, I'm, I'm, I'm down here interviewing at, a, at, a, at another plant too, but but I, I appreciate that, and I, I feel the same way about you, but, but I gotta let this play out, and, and, I, and I just don't know exactly what, what to tell you, so give me some time to pray it over, and, and I am so honored, I am so honored, and you know how like sometimes when you're talking about that, you're, you're kind of by yourself in your own zone. I look over to Laura, and she is like, say yes, say yes, say yes. <laughs> I'm like, all right, thanks, Dick, I'll call you back. <laughs> Well, I did say yes, and I've never looked back, and it has been the amazing gift and journey of a lifetime to, get, to have the privilege of having been called here to plant a church, and because you're part of it now, to get to be your pastor at this church. This, this story that God is writing at this church makes me challenge you to say, what's your story? How is God using the story of your church to make your life more, more significant, more impactful for generations to come? Here at Caw Prairie, the stories we've had in the past have changed thousands of lives with Jesus' love. And it's never been the precisely the same story. I think of the, the summers we've done parade floats with, with bands on the floats and skateboards in the street, with moms and strollers and little kids with candy. And their mom's keeping an eye on them, but the kid's acting like they're totally independent. I think of in the winters, we've, we've done the Christmas services from, from 10 a.m. Till, till, well, till midnight out at the Zimmerman barn. I think of the, the Ash Wednesdays. We've, we've ashed foreheads of commuters and students and in coffee shops around the, the county. I think of the anxious, speaking of high schoolers, I think of the anxious students. Some of them who, who start wild, feeling insecure and uncertain. And whatever their personality, when they, when they give in to the trust that it takes, to be accepted when they're willing to be vulnerable and find both kids and group leaders who lift them up. They come out the other side with a confidence and a, and a joy of being a disciple of Jesus that takes them into college or into the work life beyond. And their life has changed forever because of the Jesus love they felt here. I think of the times that God has filled this fireplace loft when it's been filled with men and women studying his word and, and becoming disciples. 
I get to think of financially even the, the, the stories that God has written here to build this building in the first place. How two dozen families in 2007 pledged an average of $30,000 a piece. These weren't Wall Street people. These weren't owners of big businesses. These were working people like most of us. 30,000 bucks they pledged and fulfilled to, to get this building campaign started and to put this building up on this land. I think of the, the Sunday a couple years later when, when a missionary to Guatemala, a young college kid talked for 10 minutes at each service and by the end of that morning had over a dozen full-ride four-year scholarships from this congregation so he could send children, talented children from villages to a school that would teach them, make them readers and writers and thinkers and return them to their villages to raise the standard of living and change lives there. I think of this last August in 2020 when in the middle of the pandemic, I asked you from the church gymnasium to pray and consider making a donation that would help get us through this, this wobbly financial time. And you said, yes, we have a 13th month in these 12 months of the year because of your generosity, church. I can't begin to think of all the future stories God's going to write when we round the corner on this, when, when the pandemic is in the rearview mirror. And all the things we've learned in the meantime about being an online church and being a church that's committed to, to having the family be the center of discipleship, not just the awesome programs that run here. Man, the future is amazing, and I am so excited to be part of it. And the story that God's going to do at Caw Prairie, it's going to follow the same through line. It's going to have the same thread. We are a church that wants to change lives with Jesus' love. Not, not guilt or shame or more rules on top of the old rules that you weren't good at anyway. We want to change lives with Jesus' love, and this is the kind of church that lives it out both inside these walls and beyond them. So next week, I'm going to be challenging you, right? At the end of this Make More Stories series, I'm going to be challenging you to consider making a financial pledge to support the work of the church in 2021 and to be, to be a part of your faith story as you teach your family what it means to be not only generous in the short term, but trusting God in the long term as well. There'll be an online form you can fill out if you'd rather do that on your phone or something else. Or if you're like me and Laura, You'll, there's a PDF. You can download that, fill it out, pray over it. Laura and I, we're thinking about we're going to have a, a glass of wine and a, put a candle and just pray over it and then sign it. And then have a second glass of wine and call it a night. So that'll be available then online in the newsletter this week. And then we'll be collecting them for the next two weeks. And I, and I pr ask you to pray and consider that. If you're not used to being a disciple giver, then start somewhere. Pick a percentage and then... Think about if that's too easy the next year, make it 1% or 2% more. You know, currently the average Christian in America, statistics say, gives about 2.5% of their income to their church. What's interesting is during the Great Depression, the average churchgoer gave 3.3%, so almost 1% more. So here's my challenge. If you are financially doing a little bit better than the average Christian in the Depression of 1930s, then... Pick something north of 3.3%. I'm, I'm a guy that likes to round. I mean, round up. I say that I'm really six feet, not 5'11 and a half. Um, so if you want a number, pick 5%, right? Now, the secret here is pick a number that's not so big that you resent it, 
but not so small that you don't feel it. You see, if you don't feel the sacrifice you're making, it's not really a sacrifice, is it? If you're just giving God a tip, it makes you feel good, but it doesn't stretch or grow you. You know, like a lot of joyful Christians, Laura and I have been tithers since early on in our marriage. We give 10% of our income to the work of God, most of it to our church, but some of it to other Christian causes beyond that. And then, you know, once you're used to being that, that generous and living that simply, what's a couple more percentages to give to your college alma mater, right? It becomes contagious generosity. Our story, yes, would have been a little different if we hadn't been tithers. We would have probably had a little bigger house and driven probably a lot newer cars. We would have eaten in better restaurants more often. We would have had nicer clothes or at least more fashionable ones. You know, we probably would have gone furniture shopping instead of estate sale hopping. And yeah, we could have had about a 10% bigger wallet and a slightly bigger retirement if we'd actually invested the money. But instead we chose, instead we chose to grow ourselves by following God's call from the earliest pages of scripture and be tithers. Now, I'm not saying you gotta be a tither to be a faithful giver, not at all. Everything, any gift that's sacrificial, any gift that you can feel and that you give joyfully, that is a worshipful offering to God. But for us, the discipline of doing the tithe was just so helpful. And by living on just a 10% smaller wallet, God's given us an infinitely bigger life. We've learned how to trust Jesus even when the, even when the money's tight. And guess what? We've learned not to be anxious then. We've learned how to, to grow a family that, that has had hurdles and challenges in it, especially in our parenting. But Laura and I have grown a, a, a wonderful, loving marriage and a totally grace-filled pair of boys. I am so proud of them because of what they've seen in us, because of the, the focus we had to put on following Jesus because we made the sacrifice. And on top of all that, we got to be part of this amazing church with its amazing stories and this amazing future ahead of us of changing lives with Jesus' love. So yeah, 2021 is going to be a new thing for all of us, right? Post-pandemic God willing, the vaccine works, right? And that we all get some of it and that it, it's decently effective. It's going to be a new learning curve for all of us. But I challenge you to, to trust God for whatever 2021 is going to be. That you might say, God, you've been faithful in my story in the past. And I believe you're going to be faithful in my story in the future. So I hope and pray that when we, when we offer the opportunity to make a faith pledge of financial commitment for 2021, you and your spouse, you and your children, you'll look at each other, you'll look at God's word, you'll listen to God through your stories, you'll share what God has been and faithful to you, and you'll say, yeah, we want to do this. We want to be part of this nimble and faithful church that's tried to say yes to God at every step on our journey. And that you'll want to lend your voice, your hands, your heart, and your support to making sure that journey is powerful and effective, powerful and productive in 2021. Listen, brothers and sisters, I want to close by turning back to Brad Martins. Take a listen to him for a minute as he tells us how his life has been impacted by the power of God at this church and how it's changed lives with Jesus' love.
I am, I'm, I'm, I feel very blessed. So I'm a retired police officer. And to tell you that I've never seen, I've seen horrific things in my life. I've lived through some horrific things in my life. And prayer is with me. God is with me. There have been times I went through a, a very difficult divorce. My ex-wife, uh, uh, she's lesbian. And then in 1992, it was a very difficult for her and very difficult for me. Um, her fighting with something that, that whom she actually is and me trying to understand that. Having the love of my family and the friends and the unconditional love um, through church, it, it, it's just amazing. And I will tell you, there's a, I carry in my, in my wallet and have since 1992 um, the poem Footprints. God carried me. God carried me. God brought my, my sister into my life when I desperately needed her, when I was questioning life itself. God brought my, my wife, Anna, into my life. I am stronger today for the strife that I've been through and the fellowship of being able to lean on God to lean on Jesus Christ. Uh, he's been with me. He is with me. And, uh, and being here at church, it, it helps me to know that and reaffirm that. I always have tried to remember WWJD, what would Jesus do? And when I was on a call for service, a loss of a life, um, just some of the, tr the tragedies that I've, that, I, that I've been with, I've prayed with people. I've prayed with the dead. Um, that doesn't make me any better than anybody else here uh, at all. I, it's just, uh, we have to do this together. We have to do this together. I just want people to know we welcome you. We welcome everyone and join us. Uh, if they're going to let me in, they're going to let you in. Let's just be honest about that. What's that, Chris? Yeah, I don't know who voted to let Brad in either. <laughs> <laughs>